Welcome to Worship from Schweitzer. I'm Pastor Jason. We're so glad you've joined us. If this is your first time or if you've been with us a long time, we're glad you're here. If it's your first time, you let us know that you're here. We'd love to send you a gift card. Your next coffee's on us. Today, we're going to dive into a new sermon series. We're in the season of Lent, six weeks where we prepare hearts and minds to, to celebrate Easter. And in that season, we're going to be hearing a sermon series around the concept of rest, about entering into God's rest and, and what God wants to do with us through His gift of rest. If you'd like to go deeper with that sermon, you can go to switzer.church next. You'll find sermon discussion questions and a lot of other places where you can grow in your faith. Up next is Corey, and he's going to share with us some things that are happening this week, ways you can connect, ways you can serve, ways you can grow and be a blessing to others. Let's hear from Corey. Hello, welcome to Schweitzer Church. We're so glad you're here. I'm Corey Lucivo, Director of Connections. We are now in the Lent season and we have some brand new short-term classes to encourage you with. First up on Monday nights, beginning tomorrow, February 27th at 6.30 p.m., I will be leading a group through the book Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest. Together, we'll discuss and experience how God's gift of the Sabbath can impact our everyday lives. This will fit in great with our sermon series, as well as with the Lent season. Stop by the Blue Booth for more information and to pick up a copy of the book. Then, on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m., Pastor Jason will be leading a class called Poverty Cure, where we'll spend time talking about how to serve and love the community around us. For more information about either of these, go to schweitzer.church groups. Our next second season is coming up this Thursday, March 2nd. This month, we'll have a special music-themed program as we enjoy hymns and songs from the Joy Pickers, fun games, and more. Sign up today at the Blue Booth or online at schweitzer.church next. Next Sunday evening, March 5th at 6.30 p.m., the Schweitzer Modern Worship Team will lead us in a night of worship. This will be a wonderful evening of worshiping together through songs, scripture, and prayer. We hope you'll join us. And last but not least, we have a new issue of The Spark that's packed with great content about what's happening around Schweitzer, plus featured stories about the neighborhood garden, ways to prepare for Easter, and more. Grab a copy for yourself and to share with a friend. You can find these around the Fellowship Center and at the Blue Booth. Once again, we are so glad you're here. <laughs> Once again, we are so glad you're here. Now, let's continue in worship. <laughs> Why? Once again, we are so glad you're here. Now, let's continue in worship. What? Once again, we are so glad you're here. Now, let's continue in worship. Corey, thanks so much for those ways we can connect. Up next, if you're worshiping with us live, we encourage you to take a moment, uh, say hello in the chat room, wave to your friends and neighbors. And if you'd like prayer, uh, let us know how we can pray for you in the prayer room. Now let's enter into worship with gladness, with joy. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice together.
Until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. Cause all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. Oh, yes, you have. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. When my life lay down, I surrender now. I give you everything, oh Lord. Your goodness is running Folks, we come to a time of prayer. I want to invite you to pray along with me on this prayer that you'll see on your screen. And, and then at appropriate moments, there's going to be some spaces where you can fill in what the prayer of your heart is. So let's pray together. Kind Father, Lord of heaven and earth, we gather together today to worship you for your great and mighty deeds of creation and redemption. We gather with our neighbors, friends, and family, and in our gathering, 
we join with others around the world who have been moved by your spirit, people from every tribe and tongue upon the earth. It's our prayer to have the power of Christ at work in us and in our world. We pray that you would strengthen us at the center of our beings, where our hearts ache, where they hurt. Would you bind up our hearts with your healing? pray that our minds would be shaped by the words of Christ, that what flows from the work of your hands and mouths would be fruits of your grace, that the fruits of your Spirit would be evident in us so that our homes and our workplaces would be spaces of grace. We pray that our bodies would be strengthened for the work you have placed before us. When our bodies and souls are tired, grant us rest. Thank you for this day of rest. Now we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Next up is Levi Zen. He's our director of student ministries. He's going to be sharing with us things that are happening in the, in the student ministry world. And you know what, friends? Uh, it's our tithes and offerings, our gifts, that are not only expressions of worship, but the Lord has a way of taking those things and helping all kinds of ministry grow and flourish. And the student ministry is one of those things that grows out of generous hearts. Let's take a listen to Levi. What's up, y'all? I'm Levi Zinn, the Director of Student Ministries here at Schweitzer, here to tell you a little bit about what we got going on at the student ministry and why it's so important. Student ministry is extremely important because we're making disciples of the next generation. We're giving them people that can walk alongside them through studying scripture together, worshiping together, praying, and just having fun together. We asked a couple of our students what our student ministry means to them. Check it out. 
Sometimes I admit there are days where I'm like really tired or I've had like a hard day at school and I'm like, oh, do I really want to go to youth group? But then every single time, every single time I come, it's, it's a place to like relax and unwind, but then also get to grow in my faith more. And I love, 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 love getting to lead worship for the students. It's a very special experience. And leading band to like being able to share that love with other students is amazing. For me, student ministry is a place where people can come together, students like me, and just join in a community with like-minded people that all are worshiping God. And it is amazing because you can grow in your faith with other people and just have the most fun. Wednesday nights are the highlights of my week. If you're looking to get involved in the student ministry and want to hang out with some students like this, we've got weekly Wednesday night worship and Sunday morning Bible study. And coming up in March, we're going over to Ozark Food Harvest to serve and going to go over to Andy B's to have some fun. And one more thing, we'll be going back to CIY or Christ in Youth for camp this year. And we'll be making a return to Camp Barnabas where we'll serve people with special needs so that they can have a camp experience. You can find out about both of these and sign up on Church Center. Once again, we believe our student ministry is vital to the community here at Schweitzer, and I just want to thank you for your support of ministries like this. Thanks, Levi. The students are fantastic. We love them. We're so happy to have young people growing in their faith around us. You can give today at schweitzer.church give or by using a Church Center app, but know that all those things help make ministry possible. Now, I invite you to get ready for the first of our sermon series on rest. Let's dive in. Friends, welcome today. I'm so glad that you're here with us. My name is Spencer, and today we're going to start a new series for the next six weeks called Rest, as we're going to be exploring the biblical teaching of Sabbath. Now, the next six weeks also are a part of the year that in church we call Lent, and these are six weeks that lead up to Easter where a lot of us might be taking on different spiritual practices to get ready for Easter, get ready for resurrection. So some of us might be uh, fasting during this time. You may be giving up social media or television or sweets, or maybe the really holy people among us might give up coffee. 
Um, or maybe you take on a spiritual discipline of some sort, maybe a daily Bible reading or, or parts of scripture or memorization, or maybe, maybe a daily prayers that you might incorporate into your life or read a book or a podcast or something along those lines to help uh, grow you and, and, and think about the Lord. And so there's all kinds of things that we might do during these um, six weeks of the year that lead up to, to Easter that we call Lent. And to go along with this uh, period of the year, we also have a new resource available for you that, that we're making available called How to Get Started with Spiritual Disciplines. And this is uh, six online teachings that I've created. They're about 10 minutes each. They've got uh, discussion questions that you either can do by yourself as reflection questions or in a group. And, and the idea is really to give a resource for folks about how do you get started in spiritual disciplines, or maybe for some of us, maybe restarted in spiritual disciplines because they've kind of fallen away in our life. And it's a real um, practical how-to, nuts and bolts kind of teaching. And, and the plan is to grow a library of, of resources that we can give folks that you know, in their own time, they can they can uh, go into some some how-to kind of teaching about how to live um, as a Christian and really get started in some of these things that are so crucial um, to our faith. And that's a that's a really key part of this idea of this teaching library is um, how do you do this kind of on your own time? How do you on your own pace, your own time, you know, take advantage of these kinds of things? And and uh, as I realized, we needed to do this because as I just look at my own life, thinking about teaching and, and giving resources to folks, I was like, oh man, how do I you know, take another night of the week to gather people together for a class. And that kind of idea just stressed me out and just to find more time in my schedule to, to create these kind of opportunities. And, and I realized that if I was in that position, I bet other people are too. And as I, as I was thinking about that, that certainly led to this series as we're going to spend the next six weeks um, discussing the, the biblical teaching of Sabbath. The biblical teaching of Sabbath. We see this all over the Bible. And as I was thinking about just sometimes how I feel overwhelmed in my life with my schedule, and I realized that so many other people do too, you know, I realized the Bible has a few things to say about this. And so I started to read about what does the scripture teach about Sabbath? And my thought was that we could spend one week, maybe a standalone Sunday in between series, and just talk about the Sabbath for a week. But as I did a deep dive into the scripture, I was shocked to see how often the Bible talks about Sabbath. And, and as I thought about that, I was then shocked that I was shocked that I was surprised that the Bible talks as much about Sabbath because I've been a student of the Bible for decades. I mean, I've read and studied the Bible on a, on a daily basis for decades. And, and yet here I was reading through all of this extensive teaching the Bible has about this idea of Sabbath. And I was thinking to myself, how have I missed this over the years? But I think we've all missed it. Because as modern Christians, the idea of Sabbath is not something that most of us take seriously. I mean, if we think about Sabbath at all, it's probably just that Chick-fil-A is not open on a Sunday. But the Bible has so much to say in both the Old Testament and the New Testament about the pace that we live our lives, about how we handle time, and about taking time in our life to connect with the Lord and connect with other people. This is the idea of Sabbath. And so we're going to spend the next six weeks not exploring an exhaustive list because we could just go for, for months exploring what it is that the Bible teaches about Sabbath from beginning to end. But we're going to look at six big teachings that the Bible has to teach us about Sabbath that are based on a wild theory that I have. And here's my wild theory, that we desperately need to recover and rediscover the teaching of Sabbath in our lives. So today as we get started, we're going to be looking at the very first instance that we see Sabbath in the Bible. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, look at the seventh day of creation. And if you were with us for the last two months, you might think to yourself, 
Genesis. We were just there for two months. And you're absolutely right, but I, I kept this uh, seventh day of creation separate, uh, saving it for today, that we could uh, look at what the very first thing the Bible says about Sabbath. So we see this seventh day of creation. Here's how it goes. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, and then Genesis chapter 2, just a few verses. Here's how it says. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. That's the six days of creation are completed. Chapter 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. He rested. Read there, he stopped. He ceased. That's the Hebrew word here, Shabbat, that he ceased. He stopped. That's the word Shabbat means. It means to stop. So on the seventh day, he stopped from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested again, stopped or ceased Shabbat from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, as we move through this series, what we're going to see is that pretty much everything the Bible teaches about Sabbath is based on this uh, first uh, reading that we have in the Bible of it, that, that, that we practice Sabbath because God practiced Sabbath. And we're going to see this over and over and over again. We practice Sabbath because God practices Sabbath. Now, now I want you to pay attention to how the Bible describes the Sabbath. As we, as we just start here, the very first uh, time we read this in the Bible, for the very first time in the Bible, as we read about Sabbath, we also read another very important word that we have not yet seen in the scripture, but is an incredibly important word as you go through the pages of the Bible. And that word is holy. The Bible, as it describes Sabbath, it calls it holy. Now, in biblical thinking, the word holy means to be um, set apart or uh, different or unique. And this is, this is what we, we have here is that the seventh day is a unique day that is set aside for rest. It's, it's to set aside to stop and to cease. That's what, that's what that word Shabbat really means. And so we have here that there's this something special, this set apartness that takes place on the seventh day because it's, it's made holy. Now it's, it's interesting to me that the first time we read about the Sabbath in the Bible, this is not a command. There's nothing here for us to do the Bible's not telling us, you know, something we need to perform or, or accomplish here. I mean, we're going to get to the command about Sabbath next week. We're going to read about the Ten Commandments. But here at the very, very beginning, the first time we see Sabbath in the Bible, we're simply told that the Sabbath is a holy day. It's a holy, holy day. Now, through the generations, lots and lots of people have noticed that as you read through the days of creation, one of the things that God is doing is that he is claiming all that he has made for himself. He's marking his sovereignty over, over all of the creation. And so when he, God names it, he calls it, he creates it, and he calls it good. One of the things he's doing is he calls it good as he is, he is claiming it as his own. He's marking it that he is the king over everything he creates from the skies and the sea and the land and the stars and the sun and the moon and everything that fills what we might call space. It is, it is marked by God that he is the king of all all of this. And this is what we see over and over again on these, these seventh days of creation. But on the seventh day, there is no space for God to claim. There's nothing that's created for God to claim as his own. And so instead of God creating or claiming space like a mountain range or a distant star to say that this is his, instead what God is doing is he is staking out his claim on time. I mean, it's interesting that the very first thing in the Bible that is called holy is time. It's a day of the week. And this, this teaches us something here because the first thing the Sabbath teaches us is that time belongs to the Lord 
just as much as anything else that God has made. The earth is the Lord's, absolutely it is. That's what the Psalms teach us. But also, time is the Lord's. This also belongs to God. It is marked out for, for His. And so we, ha- we have this idea that time belongs to the Lord. The seventh day of creation is teaching us this. And this is a truly challenging thought, that time belongs to the Lord. Because what this challenges us on is to start to think, well, if time belongs to God, how am I spending my time? And I don't just mean on one day a week, but I mean all of my time. Years ago, I went on this mission trip. And uh, every day on this mission trip, the leader of the trip would start with a devotional. And, and one morning, he started the devotional with uh, a talk on stewardship, which is crazy that I remember this because this was like 20 years ago. I mean, who remembers a message from 20 years ago? But every once in a while, you hear something and it really sticks with you. And you're like, I needed to hear that for some reason. And so 20 years ago, I still remember this this devotional from this, this morning, and he was talking about stewardship. And the, the leader was talking about how, you know, God has given us all these things are really his to begin with, but he allows us to be his stewards, to manage them. That's the idea of stewardship. And of course, stewardship is something I've heard a lot about. We, we talk about a lot in our church as well. Stewardship is, is our role of managing what is actually God's. And so the, this leader was talking about all the different resources we have in our life that, you know, we're supposed to steward, you know, money and resources, uh, uh, inner, uh, uh, um, um, relationships, education, jobs, all these kinds of things you have in your life, skills and talents that we have to, that we're, we're called to steward, to manage, that are really God's to begin with. But then he says there's one, there's one resource in your life that is more important than all these other resources because this one resource is the only resource you'll ever have in your life that you'll never get more of. I mean, you can make more money, you can get a new job, you can develop new relationships, you can go back to school, get new education, you can build new skills, you can do all those things. But there's one resource you'll never get back. Once it is gone, it is gone. And so therefore, it raises an importance in how you deal with it. And of course, he's talking about time. Time is a resource that is God's. He's given it to us. And once it's gone, it's gone. You'll never get it back. You'll never get it back. And so every single day that you wake up, you go through your day, and by the time you lay your head on your pillow at night, that is a day that you will never have back. And you're never promised tomorrow, so all you have is that day. And so you're, you're left to wonder, okay, if this is the Lord's, this time, if it belongs to the Lord's, it belongs to the Lord, then what I do with it really, really matters. How I spend it really, really matters because I'm never going to get it back. It is a resource that has been entrusted to me by God, and so therefore it's holy. And what I do with it then really, really matters. This reminds me of um, Psalm 90 in the Bible. This is a prayer that was written by Moses, and it's the only psalm in the Bible that was written by Moses. And if you remember Moses' story a little bit, you know, remember Moses was rescued as a baby, raised in Pharaoh's house. Uh, when he was 40 years old, he, he uh, killed an Egyptian, and so he was uh, forced to flee from Egypt, and he became a fugitive. And we meet him 40 years later, and he's tending uh, the sheep of his father-in-law on a mountainside and tells us a little bit of something about how Moses' life has gone. You know, for 40 years, he was raised in luxury. He had all the opportunities he could possibly have at his fingertips. The next 40 years, he uh, works for his in-laws, tending their sheep out in remote desert climates. I mean, this is, this is a life that hasn't gone anywhere. It's a life that's, that's spinning and stuck. And he comes across this bush that is on fire. It's burning. And, and as he comes to investigate it, of course, the Lord speaks to him and calls to him to tell him to go and confront his past and to go lead the Israelites out of, out of slavery and so thinking about Moses' life, he, he writes this psalm because for 
you know, we don't meet the man we know as Moses until he's 80 years old or, or, or maybe even after that. I mean, he spent a lot of his time as somebody who understands, you know, when time is gone, it's gone. Because here's somebody who's spent 80 years of his life kind of wasting it away. And so as he thinks this only prayer that we have of him, this only psalm we have of him, I want you to listen to how he talks about time. And specifically, I think you could hear some some regret maybe that you hear in his voice about how he thinks about this. And so this is Psalm 90. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read 12 verses here because it's just it teaches us so much. So Psalm 90, the words of Moses, he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Hear that, all generations. We're talking about time, a time as time passes. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He goes on, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. Our time is fleeting, essentially. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. You are like, they are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered because life is so short. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence, and all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. And then listen to verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We may gain a heart of wisdom. So catch the idea here. God is eternal and we are not. And God is eternal through all of time. And we need to have this wisdom then to understand that we are not. God is eternal and we are not. And so we have this wisdom. Give us wisdom here to understand the brevity of our life, that, that this time that it belongs to God. And so therefore what I do with it it matters. It matters. And so as we start to study the Sabbath, week one here, this very first week, we read about the seventh day of creation, how it's called holy. We realize that time, all of time, belongs to God. That He has staked his claim of ownership over time. Well, part of this then teaches us is that we need to have a proper relationship with time because it really belongs to God. But it's very easy to have a disordered or improper relationship with time. And, and we, can, we can do this. And as we start to, to think about this, there comes with all kinds of, uh, kinds of consequences for us. And so while the Sabbath day is about ordering our lives around one day, as you do this, though, you realize that as you have a proper relationship with time on this one day, it bleeds over into all the rest of your life as you begin to have a proper and ordered relationship with time. But an improper and disordered relationship with time is going to have all kinds of terrible consequences in our life. Let me paint some pictures for you. I bet you've seen these before. A family goes out to dinner. They gather around the table. They're, they're at a restaurant where they have paid to go to and they're spending money to go to. And they have this, this night out at a special restaurant. And as they sit around the table, they are, while they're together physically around this table, no one is talking to one another. No one's interacting with one another. No one's even looking at one another. Instead, they're all glued to their phones. Now, you may not think about it, but this is an example, a manifestation of an improper and disordered relationship with time. 
Because here's this gift that they've been given, this time to spend together. They're never going to get back. And how are they using this time? Because they're not even engaging with with the people around them who, who matter to them the most. It's an improper and disordered relationship with time. Or, or here's another scenario. I think, about, I think about the person who's worked their whole life and they're given this gift of retirement. And this is like a new thing in human history for us to be able to retire. And so they're given this gift of retirement and, and they have this luxury now of, of all this time on their hands. And, and as they go into retirement, it's great at first, but after a little while, they're left wondering, like, what am I supposed to do with myself? And as they think about what they're supposed to do about themselves, they end up spending more and more time just on themselves and indulging themselves. And after a while, they find themselves maybe a little bit bored, maybe a little bit depressed. And they don't really know what to do, but within this wandering of of how do I manage all of this time, they're missing the opportunities to to serve others, to use their gifts, to benefit others, to, to mentor the next generation. I mean, in this wandering and boredom, is this not a symptom of a disordered and improper relationship with time? Or here's another example. It's another weekend, another soccer tournament. It's another night, it's another practice. It's another thing on the schedule that means that we're gonna, our family's gonna go in different directions as we spread out throughout the the time. It's It's another day where we don't have dinner together because we have that practice, we've got that band rehearsal, we've got that thing that we have to get to. It's another weekend where we go to the tournament and we miss church. It's another time where the husband and wife wake up and they don't see each other until it's time to put their, their lay their heads back on the, on the bed. And it's another weekend, another thing, another thing on the schedule that slowly encroaches upon the family, building a wedge between the relationships where intimacy begins to be lost. It's an improper, a disordered relationship with time. It, it comes to affect us. And of course, we could go on and on with these kinds of scenarios because a disordered, improper relationship with time, it comes to affect all of us. When we could talk about work, we could talk about checking our email on the weekends, talk about even worse than that, checking our email when we're on vacation, when we're with, supposed to be with the people who matter the most to us. There's all kinds of ways we could do this. We could talk about all the hours that we spend looking at screens. I mean, there's just all kinds of ways that we see an improper, disordered relationship with time. And you know, I know this comes with the consequences. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was this big study done. 20,000 Christians were looked at, and the study was called an Obstacles of Growth Study. And uh, of course, the study found that one of the biggest obstacles to growth for a Christian was busyness. I mean, we, we know that. I mean, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. But the conclusion of the study was really interesting to me. And I want to read to you the conclusion of this study because it, it really caught my attention. So here's what the conclusion of this study said. 20,000 Christians looking at what is one of the biggest obstacles of growth. And here's what it talked about. It said this, it may be the case that one, Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christians' lives, which leads to three, deteriorating relationships with God, which leads to Four, Christians become even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And then the cycle begins again. A disordered and improper relationship with time, it draws us further and further from the life that God wants for us. The great Corey Tinboom once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he's going to make you busy. It's a disordered, improper relationship with time. Now, I grew up going to church. 
in the church I grew up in, we sang hymns. We didn't have screens and modern music. We sang hymns to an organ and a piano. And, and uh, I remember this hymn as I was growing up. I learned it as a child. It was called, um, it was all about our relationship with time. It was called Take Time to Be Holy. And I've been thinking about it this week as I've been thinking about my relationship with time and what the Bible teaches and how it belongs to the Lord and it's this resource I'll never get back and kind of contemplating the wisdom of, of knowing the brevity of my life and, and how important time is. And as I've been thinking about this song, you know, the song talks about taking time out of your life to uh, read the word and grow in Christ and to pray with unhurried prayers and these kinds of things. But there's this one phrase in particular that I really couldn't let go of as I was thinking about my own relationship with time because it says in the lyrics of the song, take time to be holy. And then it says, as the world rushes on. Like I haven't been able to, to, to pass on that. It's, it's just been kind of bouncing around my mind as the world rushes on because the truth is there is a pattern of living that the world lives by that you and I are going to have just incredible pressure to adopt to and to adapt and to live in the same exact patterns of. As the world rushes on, we're going to be pushed to live in the exact same kinds of ways. But in the and the truth is as well that the world is not interested in you growing to be more like Christ. The world is not interested in you becoming more holy. The world is not interested in you having a more fulfilled life because you're connecting with God, you're connecting with the people that matter most to you. The world is not interested in your priorities being in the right order. The world is interested in you becoming like the world. This is the pattern that we see. And so I've been thinking about this, this, this thing, this, this, this line, as the world rushes on, and so I looked up the history of this hymn. I didn't know what it was. And what I learned was that the author of this hymn, it wasn't written by a preacher. It was written by a, a small business owner. And I can't imagine the pressure that a small business owner is going to feel on his time. And then what really got me, though, was that the writer of this hymn had, listen to this, eight children, eight children, eight children. And so what does this small business owner with eight children write about? About the need to take time to be holy, the need to, to own up, to seize the time, to take, take initiative, to take that time, because if I don't take that time and I'm not purposeful about it, then the time's never gonna find me. I'm never gonna grow. I'm never gonna experience God. I'm never going to become the kind of person who lives a, a holy kind of life because I'm just gonna live by the patterns of this world. You have to take that time because otherwise that time will never find you. And so now we come back to Sabbath. While modern Christians have basically disavowed this, basically seen this as irrelevant, basically been something that, that we think is old-fashioned or something that, that maybe you know, generations in the past did, or maybe we think it's an Old Testament kind of thing, we don't think it's relevant to our lives today. I have this wild theory that Sabbath keeping, taking a day a week where we stop, we cease, we pause, we rest, Shabbat, there's actually something that we desperately need to recover because too many of us are now living by the patterns of this world when it comes to our time and we've forgotten the wisdom that time actually belongs to the Lord. And so the Sabbath, as we think about the Sabbath, is an, is an invitation. It's an invitation to live according to a different pattern of life. It's an invitation to live to a pattern of life that honors God and accepts that He is the one who rules and reigns over the world. It's an invitation for our whole of our life to come into relationship with him, not just about one day a week. But I promise you this, if you can't even do one day a week, very likely your whole relationship with time is gonna be disordered. But if you can start with at least once a week to pause, to cease, to rest, it's gonna be very likely that this pattern of life, it bleeds over into everything else because you're gonna start developing 
an ordered and proper relationship with time. Let's pray together. And so Father, today we hear this word of the Sabbath, how it is holy. You call it holy because time belongs to you. Here's a resource that we're never gonna get back. Once it's gone, it's gone. This day that you have given us today, it only comes once and we'll never have it again. We're never promised tomorrow. And so we need to make the most of every single day that we have. But we also confess that many of us are living our lives on a different kind of pattern, a different understanding, a different kind of pattern of life that is really mirrored off the world and not off of you. And so instead of taking time to be holy, we are taking time for everything else or we're wasting our time on things that don't matter and the things that really do matter in our life, we are pushing aside, hoping for another day where we can get to them. And Father, we confess that this is sin. This is wrong. It's not your will for us. And it's not gonna grow us. Instead, it's just gonna lead us deeper and deeper into these patterns of life that look just like the world. Would you forgive us? Would you give us the courage or the creativity to begin to think, in my life today, how do I stop? How do I cease? How do I begin to practice Shabbat? Where I'm gonna connect with the Lord, I'm gonna connect with others, and I'm gonna spend time on the things that matter most. Because this time that you've given us, it's a finite resource. Lord, may we not waste it. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray today. Amen. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you were encouraged. Hope you feel um, filled up by the rest of God and, and invited into the Lord's rest. Hope you find that rest at work within you. A big thank you to all those who helped make today's worship possible. Alec, Taylor, and others behind the scenes, to those who led in worship, to, to Corey, to Levi, for, to Spencer, for all the ways that they shared with us the good things that are happening in the Lord's goodness. If you um, would take a moment, we'd love it if you would like or share this with others in your world, in your sphere of influence, who, would, who need to be encouraged and who would be helped by this experience. Thank you so much. We look forward to seeing you next week. We continue to hear more about rest and its gift to us. The Lord bless you, keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Delight, visions of rapture.
This is my story.